Products presents Science and Discovery, narrated by Edwin Newman. This is on the story of electricity. The story of electricity is neither as brief nor as recent as most of us imagine. Many people associate the beginnings of electricity with Thomas Alva Edison in the late 1800s or Ben Franklin and his kite more than a century earlier. But the story of electricity is much older than that. Electrical events like lightning have always been familiar features of nature, and for thousands of years man has known that some materials are attracted to others. The eminent historians Duane Roller and Duane H.D. Roller, in their extraordinarily important book entitled The Development of the Concept of Electric Charge, have cataloged the forms of electromagnetism known to the ancients. The people of antiquity were familiar with four types of phenomena that today we recognize as electrical in character. These are, one, lightning, which was generally thought to be a sort of fire or burning vapor, perhaps sulfurous in character. Two, the manner in which the so-called torpedo fish stuns its prey, a phenomenon known to the early Egyptians and later recorded by Greek and Roman naturalists. Three, St. Elmo's fire, a pale glow sometimes seen on the tips of pointed objects during stormy weather, described by the ancient Romans in their military camps as flames at the points of their spears. Four, the property of attracting small objects shown by amber when rubbed, often referred to as the amber effect. Though mankind has long been acquainted with electromagnetic phenomena, Advances in explaining and producing practical applications from these phenomena have come about only more recently. Yet there are even electrical applications old enough to precede the modern age. The first clear reference in Europe to the peculiar properties of the polarized needle appear in a poem written by Guillaume de Provence of France in about 1190. But the English historian John Francis Davis observed in the late 19th century that there were clear indications that the Chinese knew about such things much earlier. The attractive power of the lodestone has been known to the Chinese from remote antiquity, but its property of communicating polarity to iron is for the first time explicitly noticed in a Chinese dictionary finished in A.D. 121. Under the head of lodestone appears this definition, a stone with which a direction can be given to the needle. Per Gobi, in his History of the Tang Dynasty, states that he found, in a work written 100 years later than the above, the use of the compass distinctly recorded. In a dictionary published in the reign of Kangxi, it is stated that under the Xing dynasty, previous to AD 419, ships were steered to the south by the magnet. So the Chinese knew of the compass at least a thousand years before that knowledge reached Europe. And they apparently were also far ahead of the Europeans in learning that the compass needle points in a direction that is not quite true north. The first recorded effort to explain electromagnetism is attributed to Thales of Miletus, 
an extraordinary man who lived in the 7th and 6th centuries BC. Thales' efforts mark the apparent beginnings of the scientific discussion of electricity. Thales lived in the Greek city of Miletus on the Aegean shores of what is now Turkey. He was a contemporary of Draco and Solon of Athens, two great public figures who were shaping the Greek tradition and political thought. Thales also was a contemporary of Babylon's King Nebuchadnezzar, who was the master of Western Asia and, according to the biblical book of Kings, the conqueror of Judea. Thales traveled far and wide. He visited the priests at the Egyptian cities of Memphis and Thebes, who taught him the physical sciences and geometry as they were understood in Western Asia. The importance of Thales to our present story is documented well by historian Herbert W. Meyer. Thales is important in electrical history because he was the first person who is said to have observed the electrical properties of amber. He noted that when amber was rubbed, it acquired the ability to pick up light objects such as straw, dry grass, and the like. He also experimented with the lodestone and knew of its power to attract iron. He apparently associated the two phenomena, although more than 2,400 years elapsed before any actual relationship was proved. We do not know whether Thales discovered these facts for himself or learned of them from the Egyptian priests or from others. He apparently did not know of the directive power of the lodestone. Amber is a resinous yellow fossil that began as prehistoric wood and the Greek name for it is electron. And our modern word magnet may derive from the name of an area in northern Greece, Magnesia, where lodestones could be found in abundance. Both Greek and Roman authors were persistently curious about the odd properties of these materials. The Roman naturalist Pliny the Elder wrote that a pre-Roman civilization, the Etruscans, had been able to draw lightning from the clouds and turn it aside. Plutarch, the great Greek essayist of the first and second centuries A.D., believed that lodestones produced disturbances in the air surrounding them. The lodestone emits strong exhalations, which push the adjoining air. The air, in turn, pushes solid objects before it, and this air, being carried round a circle and returning into the vacuated place, forcibly moves the iron in the same direction. Plutarch offered a similar explanation of the amber effect. In amber there is a flammous and spirituous nature, and this, by rubbing on the surface, is emitted by hidden passages, and does the same that the lodestone does. The 20th century historian Herbert Meyer documents other compelling bits of ancient knowledge of electromagnetic phenomena. Some evidence indicates that magnetism and protection from lightning were known around the Mediterranean Sea as early as the era of King Solomon, the Hebrew ruler of the 10th century BC. The Temple of Solomon may have been protected from lightning by numerous sharp points of metal that covered the roof and that were connected by means of pipes to caverns in a hill. The Roman temple of Juno is said to have been similarly protected. Lucretius, 
the first century B.C. Roman poet and author of De Rerum Natura, noted the ability of the lodestone to attract several iron rings, one adhering to the other, and marveled at the peculiar behavior of iron filings in a brass bowl when a magnet was moved about beneath it. The classical era of Greek and Roman dominance ended in the 4th and 5th centuries A.D. The study of electromagnetic phenomena, indeed almost all scientific study, was eclipsed in Europe. Meanwhile, in 4th century China, the naturalist Ku Fo noted the magnet's power to attract iron and tried to compare it with the power of rubbed amber to attract mustard seeds. In 426, St. Augustine of Hippo, in modern Algeria, discussed an experiment in which a small piece of iron on a silver plate could be made to follow the movements of a magnet held below the plate. Magnets and amber were not the only materials known to have a curious, attractive effect. The historians Roller and Roller mention several other attractive materials known to the ancients. Writers of classical antiquity had mentioned several gems that display the amber effect. In medieval times, it became known that jet, a hard, compacted form of coal, also possesses this property. And by the early 16th century, diamond was added to the list. Knowledge of various electromagnetic phenomena appears to have entered northern Europe slowly. Information that did filter through came more from technical or magical know-how than from scientific study. There was a brief flurry of interest in magnetism.